You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now a word from our sponsor, Netscope. Netscope is a worldwide leader in SASE and Zero Trust. Its unified platform, Netscope One, provides optimized access and zero trust security for people, devices, and data anywhere they go, helping customers reduce risk, accelerate performance, and get unrivaled visibility into any cloud, web, and private application activity. To learn more about how Netscope helps customers be ready for anything on their sassy journey, visit netskope.com. Rubella hits the shelves of the criminal black market. It's the crimeware kit, not the German measles. Nikors gets shifty by going retro. iPhone unlocking specialists endure an apparently minor breach. The sad story of structural extremism on the internet. Finland says the Russians are coming there, too. Snoopers charter setback. A proposed bill would make it easier for DHS to clean U.S. federal networks. And the latest crypto wars agreement is said to just be key escrow. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Friday, April 27, 2018. Flashpoint describes a cut-rate criminal kit, Rubella, that offers some point-and-click builder functionality and generates malicious payloads for spam. It's not sophisticated, but skid criminals can rent it for just 40 bucks a month. Rubella, the crimeware, not the German measles, is another symptom of the ongoing commodification of what's being sold in the criminal-to-criminal black market. The venerable Nakur's botnet, whose masters control millions of compromised machines they use to pump out spam, has gotten a little more evasive by going a little retro. Nakur's has been emailing archive files that unzip to a file with a .url extension that opens a page directly in a browser. It's old school, But on the other hand, email scanners that hunt for more complicated new-school infection chains are liable to miss it. It will take a little time for many scanners to readjust, which opens a window of opportunity for the bad guys. GrayShift, the iPhone unlocking specialists who've sold their gray key to law enforcement agencies, has been the victim of code theft. Unknown parties apparently got the source code snippets from a customer site where GrayShift's user interface was briefly exposed to the Internet. The hackers demanded ransom, which GrayShift refused. The company thinks the software that was lost, judging from what the hackers have posted, is just code used to show messages to a user. Thus, it seems unlikely that the underworld will soon be unlocking iPhones left, right, and center. Still, like any data breach, this one is at least mildly upsetting. A piece about online inspiration in the New York Times concludes that by their nature, social media tend to breed extremism. Quote, attention, praise, and a sense of importance and agency, end quote, are easy to come by online. And who wouldn't want those, especially if you're young, frustrated, and feeling no count? And worse yet, the algorithmically discerned rate of engagement is self-reinforcing, serving more like-minded messages until the recipients come to believe that what they're reading is good, normal, mainstream, common sense, even if that common sense has induced them to seriously consider ramming a car into a crowd of people, the driver is convinced are enemies of all that's good, normal, and mainstream. 
It seems a pity that the old U.S. State Department Think Again, Turn Away campaign was widely derided as ineffectual before its abandonment. Think Again and Turn Away seems exactly what one would hope for, but the good, normal, mainstream common sense on the Internet said that whole slogan was nothing more than just tired, warmed over, just say no. That's what we read, anywho. We might add to the observations in the Times the strange disinhibition that grips people when they get behind a keyboard. That disinhibition is on display right now as the arrest of the alleged Golden State killer after decades of futile investigation shows. One is happy indeed that police in California finally collared a man who is alleged to have been an unusually vicious serial killer with crimes going back to the 1970s. What's beyond unfortunate is the trope of amateur detectives who are hounding the accused man's family with preposterous accusations of complicity. This is so much easier online than it would be in person, but increasingly the ground separating cyberspace and physical space looks depressingly like a slippery slope. All we can advise is, think again, turn away. Finland has joined the ranks of countries who found state-directed cyber activity targeting their industrial and energy infrastructure. In its report for 2017, the SUPO, Finland's Security Intelligence Service, details widespread and ongoing attempts to infiltrate networks. Intellectual property is among the more sought-after targets. The energy sector and its associated research and development activities are of particular interest to foreign intelligence services. Traditional espionage involving recruitment of Finns to deliver information also continues, and, as the SUPO says, quote, especially Russian intelligence organizations are active in Finland, end quote. The UK's Snoopers Charter suffered a setback at week's end, as the High Court directed that the law be revised to require prior independent review before it can access retained metadata. The Home Office has its take on the decision. They are pleased to note that the court has upheld the fundamental tenets of the law, and they'll be happy to make the minor adjustments the bench has asked for. The plaintiffs who challenge the law are also pleased. They see the decision as a significant blow to their surveillance state, albeit a far from lethal blow. The Federal Network Protection Act, S.2743, would fast-track the U.S. Department of Homeland Security's ability to pull compromised software and systems from federal networks. This would enable DHS to rapidly exclude problematic products from government use without going through protracted interagency review. The bill is currently before the Senate. We've seen a number of recent attempts to come up with an approach to encryption that balances legitimate security and law enforcement interests with fundamental rights to privacy. Experts who've reviewed Ray Ozzie's proposed modus vivendi in the crypto wars tend to conclude that it's a form of key escrow. Some compare it to the late clipper chip, late and largely unlamented. Ozzy's approach seems to have left the pro-encryption side of the crypto wars cold. They see it as just another species in the genus of weakened encryption. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. 
Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications, so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Dr. Charles Clancy. He's the director of the Hume Center for National Security and Technology at Virginia Tech. Dr. Clancy, welcome back. Um, I wanted to get kind of a reality check from you when it comes to the 5G rollout. I think we're starting to see some of the uh, the marketing messages ramp up. But um, what, what's your perspective on when we might actually start seeing things affect us in the real world? Um, I think it'll be a few more years before we really start to see 5G at scale. Um, a lot of the marketing right now is around uh, spectrum. So the FCC has identified here in the U.S. a few different bands that could be used uh, uniquely for for 5G. Um, but honestly, the the standards aren't aren't even finished yet, much less implemented and and developed. Hmm. The standards basically fall down and in, fall into two components. There's the radio access network, uh, which is known as New Radio or NR, um, and the standards for that are mostly done. I would say at this point. The first thing we will see is a 5G cell tower talking to a 4G core network. Um, and that will give you faster data rates, but it won't let you take advantage of all the new features that are part of the 5G core. Um, the 5G core is going to have all kinds of exciting new capabilities specifically designed to support Internet of Things and, and other IoT use cases. Uh, so things like network slicing, which allows you to create virtualized layers of, uh, of the core network, specifically for different classes of IoT devices. Really exciting new capability. It, it takes software-defined networking and network function uh, virtualization uh, to a whole new level uh, in, in the cell phone network. Uh, but those standards are still at the early stages right now and probably still um, another couple years before they're finished, much less implemented and, and, and developed and rolled out. And so what kinds of uh, security elements are we going to see baked into 5G? Uh, well, the 5G radio access network uh, is uh, has very similar security properties, I'd say, to the 4G network. Um, there are some interesting things that are being done to try and improve some of the vulnerabilities in 4G. Um, one example would be the IMSI catchers uh, that are able to act as a fake base station and cause uh, your phone to provide the unique identifier off your SIM card. Mm. Um, actually, just 
uh, last week there was uh, a, a set of changes to the 5G standard that were approved uh, that will now uh, encrypt that identity before it is sent to the network, which will prevent those IMSI catchers from being, being able to, to be effective against 5G phones. Are those the, the uh, popularly known as Stingrays? Is that what we're talking about? Exactly. Yeah, that's the, the, the brand name that's associated with it most frequently. Uh, but it's uh, basically a, a sometimes called a base station emulator, but it is uh, essentially a, a device that acts like a cell phone base station and engages your phone in a conversation in order to get your phone to reveal its identity. Now, well, we still have the issue of, um, of sort of the backwards compatibility issue of uh, forcing a device to be able to fall back to some of the older standards. Of course, yeah. So 2G, 3G, and 4G would all still be vulnerable. Um, so uh, 5G is a, at a great inflection point right now to begin to solve some of the problems that, that we've been wanting to solve for a while in uh, telecommunications and cybersecurity. Uh, but of course, because of the backward compatibility, it will be many more years before uh, those older technologies are fully phased out and we have the full benefit of these new security features. All right, Dr. Charles Clancy, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. My guest today is Medica Ko. She's Chief Technical Officer at Farsight Security, a company that offers passive DNS cybersecurity solutions. Previously in her career, she led the first security initiative at Cisco Systems in the mid-90s and authored the first Cisco book on security. My background is that I have an electrical engineering degree, and my first job was starting out designing and deploying campus backbone networks. So the first month on the job was the infamous uh, Morris worm that is historically known as the first Internet worm. Hmm. And I would say that started my foray into security because it, I became very involved as we, we were designing our backbone to look at authentication, integrity and auditing functions, the basics of security. And some of the listeners may laugh, but we were changing out software by actually changing out the EEPROMs. So actual chips were how we did software upgrades when there were issues found, bugs found that now some of them might be classified as security issues. So as my career progressed and the internet grew to billions of devices and millions of users, the criminal and malicious activity also increased. And so I find myself now at Farsight Security since everyone in the company also has a passion for making, uh, making the internet uh, more trusted and secure and stable means of communicating and also creating business transactions. Now, one of the things we wanted to discuss today was uh, using DNS data as an early warning system for cyber threats. Can we start off, can you describe for us where do we find ourselves in terms of how DNS data is used and, and what are the implications of that? 
domain names are the basic functions of anything that you are doing on the internet. Uh, humans think in names and machines think of numbers. Every device on the internet is identified by a name and a number. The number is referred to as an IP address and the name is typically the fully qualified domain names. So what the DNS does, it associates various information with domain names assigned to a particular entity. And uh, very often you're doing a mapping between the domain name and an IP address. One item that is extremely important for many to understand and who may not be so familiar with the domain name system is that the criminals really have started utilizing the domain name system as a fundamental a building block to many of their scams. There are things called domain generating algorithms where uh, it's a capability to generate hundreds of domain names a second. And they're designed uh, for resiliency so that if a domain name gets discovered to be used for malicious use, they just move to other domain names. And so this is a way that the malicious underground is able to register and retain control of several botnets that can be used for uh, malicious campaigns. And so in terms of being an early warning system, how does that come into play? There are malicious actors who try to impersonate uh, your specific domain name or email address. So with the real-time information, you can determine whether or not somebody is trying to impersonate your site and whether or not you're sending your information to like your banking credentials, username and passwords to a fake banking site where then the criminal uh, underground can use it to sell your information. There are numerous breaches of domain registers where uh, domain names have been impersonated. And so this often happens to luxury brands to create websites for various fraud scams or to any sites where the malicious activity requires a user to believe that a site they are going to is valid. So these scams uh, used to get usernames, passwords, and other personal information. What I really think is very important is also that everybody should be paying to attention to how are criminals flying under the radar utilizing international domain names, for example, as lookalike domains to try and create email and phishing scams. And also, how can you detect IPv6-related spam and phishing campaigns? So I think everybody has a part in the ecosystem. I'm curious, uh, you know, from your own point of view, coming up in this industry, do you have any words of wisdom or advice for those who are looking for a career in security? I do. Uh, my advice would be never stop learning and never stop asking questions. I think security has, it's very complex because there's so many details that are involved. And I think that the more you understand, the more you ask questions, why is this, and even challenging some of the old ideas, um, because we need new input, we need new ways of thinking. The old ways of thinking of security are, are clearly not good enough. So I would challenge everybody to just look at, you know, how are things done? How can we make things more secure? How are you identifying somebody? What information are you logging and auditing? 
how do you preserve integrity of information knowing that nobody has modified anything in transit? So it's a very, very large field. And I just encourage people to look into their passions and never stop asking why and offering solutions. That's Medica Keo from Farsight Security. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow.